Philippians 1, the end of 18, all the way to 26. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to pick one up in front of you. We'll be on page 921. What we're going to see in these few verses is Paul really contrasts life and death. He's going to give us a great perspective on both. As we, as we think about this passage, I want us to think on this question. How do we cultivate a right perspective of living and dying? How do we cultivate a right perspective of living and dying? We only have one life to live and then we die. One out of one person sitting in here will die. That's what's going to happen. We know life has an end point unless Christ returns. In our passage today, these few verses, Paul gives us a Christ-honoring perspective on life and death. To remind us where we've been, I read this morning, I'm reading a book right now by Paul Miller called A Praying Church. Man, I would, I would love for King's Church to be known as a praying church. I think we're, we're on our way to being a praying church. We've got a lot to, 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 to learn. We've got a lot to implement. But I think we're on our way. But in, his, in this book, this is how he paraphrased really the last two passages we've been in. And I think it's very helpful. From, from really verse 12 to, to 18, this is how he paraphrases it. And so that will catch us up to today if you haven't been here the last two weeks. This is what Paul says. A little paraphrase. I know you've been concerned about my chains, but you'll never believe what's happened. Because of my imprisonment, the entire imperial guard in Rome has heard the gospel. Seeing this, the church has become bolder in, wit in witnessing. Yes, some are trying to get me in trouble by aggressively sharing the gospel, but who cares? More people are hearing about Jesus. So what looks like a terrible injustice has turned into an amazing opportunity. I'm literally bursting with joy. I'm literally bursting with joy. That's how he ends verse, or that's how he, he ends the first section of verse 18. And then the last part of verse 18, he says, yes, I, I will rejoice. So again, we see this joy overflowing out of Paul. Paul's life could come to an end at any moment, yet he is overflowing with joy. How can this be? How can this be? How can you be joyful in the midst of suffering? When Christ, when Christ is your life, then we can have great joy. In this life, and this is, this is incredible, and great joy in death. And great joy in death. Our ladies have recently started studying through Hebrews. And this is, this is really the theme, the main point of Hebrews. If we get what the writer to the Hebrews is, is teaching, then, then Christ becomes our life because throughout Hebrews, really from Hebrews 1 to the end, this is the theme. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. You can, you can contrast that with anything. Jesus is better than my family. Jesus is better than my job. Jesus is better. The, the writer to the Hebrews takes all of these different uh, Old Testament themes, and, and he says Jesus is better than that. Jesus is better than Abraham. 
Jesus is better than the old covenant. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the angels. That's what he's getting at. He, he wants his readers to see this because he knows that if we get that, then our lives will be lived for the glory of Christ. Paul exemplifies this in this passage today and really throughout all of his writings. Paul is living this out in the midst of suffering. Today, as we work through this passage, we see him share his perspective on life and death. Ultimately, ultimately, he desires for Christ to be honored in both. May Christ be honored in my life. May Christ be honored in my death. Our big idea this morning is honoring Christ in life and death brings great joy. Honoring Christ in life and death brings great joy. Let me read this passage for us, and then I want to pray. He says, it's kind of strange, right? Like the way we, we verse these out, we put little numbers beside it, because really it, this, the, these five words, yes and I will rejoice, kind of transition from uh, the first of 18 and then into 19. So I guess you could lump it into both or just make it a different verse, you know. But this is where we're beginning, right in the middle of 18. So if it, if it confuses you, I'm, I'm sorry. Go back and read and then you'll see. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance or salvation. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21, many of you know this. Verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will, rem I will remain and continue with you all. Why, Paul? Listen to what he says. For your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let me pray. Father, we, we, we give you all the praise. Father, we thank you for the songs we've sang this morning. What, a, what an incredible vision of, of Christ that's been painted so far. Father, I pray that we would continue to worship you through your word. God, teach us by your spirit. Give us insight. God, teach us to, to have great joy in life or death. Teach us to honor Christ in the way we live and in the way we die. God, we, we pray now by your spirit that you would open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, that we may look more like Jesus. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice. Remember, he's, he's chained. He's suffering. How do we rejoice in the good and in the bad? How do we rejoice in sorrow and suffering? How do we rejoice in riches and in poverty? How do we cultivate this lifestyle of honoring Christ with great joy? I think in, in this passage, just these few verses we see at least three practical ways Paul exemplifies this in this passage and in his life. 
The first we see in verses, really 18b to verse 20, honor Christ. Honor Christ. This is what he says, yes, and I will rejoice. So he begins this passage, this section, with reminding us of the joy that he has in Christ Jesus. He's also going to end it with joy, but a different joy. He's going to end it with the joy of the Philippians being increased and growing because of him and his testimony to them. So really we see this passage, joy frames verse 18 to verse, 9, to verse 26. It's framed by joy. We've seen this throughout Philippians so far. We're going to continue to see joy in Philippians. Rejoice. And yes, I will rejoice. And then he goes on and he rejoices in something. He rejoices really in his salvation. He rejoices in his salvation. He says in verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. This word deliverance here, you know, he's in chains. So it could mean that this, this, this temporal chains, he'll be delivered from that in this earthly life. But what many commentators believe and what we see in Job is that this deliverance is actually eternal deliverance. Where Paul, he is so secure in his future salvation before the Lord that he can say, you know, I may die in these chains, but I also may continue to live. But regardless, I will be delivered. I will be saved. Job 13, 16 paints this picture for us. And Job is, y'all know, I guess y'all know the story of Job. Everything, stripped of everything. And he is, he's, he's praying to the Lord. And in 13, 16, he says that he's going to be vindicated, delivered, saved in the heavenly courts. See, that's what, that's what many commentators believe Paul's talking about here. But Paul attributes it to two things. The prayers of the saints, for I know that through your prayers, and, second thing, the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Prayer, saints' prayers, and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about our praying helps other saints? Like we, do, I mean, it's, it's worth like even asking the question, like, if we fail to pray, will that supply dry up? Right? Like, how does, I, I know, like, as we think about prayer, right, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of crazy. God is sovereign over all things, yet our prayers affect change. But God's sovereign but our prayers affect change. Paul attributes his deliverance, his, his salvation, right? This, this assurance, because what he's going to go into next is just this courageous living, not ashamed of the gospel. Our prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit. And just, just something to ponder. Do we pray in light of this expectant, expectantly? Expecting God to make changes. Expecting God to use his spirit to bring about change. Paul says here that we honor Christ by rejoicing in our salvation. And then secondly, he says we honor Christ by living courageously. Listen to what he says here. My deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage 
Now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul says, I don't want to be ashamed. I don't want to be ashamed. I have a hope-filled, eager expectation that I'll honor Christ with my body, whether by life or by death. It's his hope. He doesn't want to be ashamed. He wants to be found worthy if he's to die or if he's to live. So how do we cultivate a longing like this? This idea of full courage. It has the, it has the, the, just the, the connotation of boldness of speech and confidence of demeanor. The way he speaks and the way he acts, he wants to bring honor to Christ. He wants to live out a courageous life for Jesus. He wants more and more people to know that his life is lived for Christ, that his death comes for Christ. It's his eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 20 ends with this idea of honoring Christ in life or death. So what we see here. As Paul moves into this, he he then moves to examine life and death. So over the next few verses, he gives us a biblical, Christ-centered perspective on life and death. So how how do we cultivate this in our life? Yes, we honor Christ with our life and with our death, but we also truly understand life and death. We we gain a biblical, Christ-centered perspective on life and death. So that's what we want to do. These next few verses, we want to truly understand. How are our lives lived for Christ? How, are, how do we die for Christ? Paul begins in verse 21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. One commentator put it like this. Life, life means Christ to me. As I more fully know and love and serve him day by day. Death means Christ to me when I shall finally possess and eternally enjoy him. To die is gloriously to possess Christ. To live is gloriously to bear fruit. Right? Let me say that again. Y'all probably thought there was going to be some interpretive dancing going on as Lake was sliding across the front. To die is gloriously to possess Christ. To live is gloriously to bear fruit. Right? This is our life. This is our death. To live is Christ and to die is gain. He says to live is Christ. To live is Christ. What does Paul mean when he says Christ? Let's let's step away from verse 21, and let's look at the book of Philippians, and let's see what Paul means by Christ. I really wish the screen was working today, uh, because this, this quote, and I'll send it out in our, in our weekly update. I love this quote. It's a Christology of Philippians. Listen to what Gordon Fee says. Christ, crucified, exalted Lord, present by the Spirit, coming King. Christ, The one who was as God emptied himself and as man humbled himself to death on the cross. Whom God has now given the name above all names. Christ, the one for whom Paul has gladly suffered the loss of all things. 
in order to gain him and know him, both his resurrection power and participation in his sufferings. Christ, the name that sums up for Paul the whole range of his new relationship to God. Personal devotion, commitment, service, the gospel, ministry, communion, inspiration, everything. This is Christ. Is this your view of Christ? Do you see your life as lived for Christ? Is he, is he your everything? Young and old, rich and poor, healthy and sick, single and married, is Christ your everything? That's what Paul is saying. To live is Christ. He's my everything. My life is caught up in his. My life is now his because he's radically saved me. Unfortunately, too many times, even for us sitting here, right, us who take an hour out of our week to come and worship Jesus together, too often for us it's for me to live as Christ plus something. Plus something. Is it work? Is it play? Is it money? Is it your spouse? Is it children? Or is it the lack of any of those things? The plus factor. What is yours? What is mine? I would encourage you today to, to ponder that question. To me, for me to live as Christ, is there anything else? Is there anything else? And my challenge for all of us, if there is something else, let us repent. Let us confess our sins. For he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because this is what happens with that plus factor. If we, if we have a plus factor right now, maybe, maybe it's Christ, right? And then it's this plus factor. The problem with that is that eventually it's for me to live is my work. For me to live is my spouse. For me to live is the American dream. For me to live is my children, right? Paul says for me to live is Christ. Let us truly understand what life is. If we're in Christ, he continues on in verse 22 and he says, actually, living, he says, if I'm to live in the flesh, this means this flesh right here just means simply life. It's not it's not the bad stuff, right, that, that we see in other places, right? Live according to the flesh like that's that's like sin right here. He's just saying, if I keep on living. If I'm to live in the flesh. That means fruitful labor for me. To live is Christ. Living equals fruitful labor for the Christian. Fruitful missionary work. New converts overflowing with the fruit of the Spirit. This is how Paul views his life. Oh, that we would view our lives as fruitful labor. Are you seeing fruit? Are you abiding in Christ? Oh, that our lives would be lived like this. He continues on and, and he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Here in, at the end of verse 22, he says, Yet which I, sh which, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. This is a real struggle. Paul's going, I don't know. Yes, I, 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 living is Christ, but, but dying is gain. 
Living is fruitful labor for me, yet, yet dying is, is far better. I'm hard-pressed between the two. How shall I choose? My desire, this is what he says in 23, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. Paul's desire is to be with Jesus. You see, this gives us an incredible perspective on death. We face our death, right? Maybe it's tomorrow. Maybe it's in 50 years. We face our death and the death of others triumphantly, right? Triumphantly if they're in Christ Jesus because it's gain and it's far better. But we're not robots either. So yes, we face death triumphantly, but surely not without tears. There's going to be tears. We've, we've, we've suffered the loss of, of several of our church members over the past, past year. It comes with tears, yet we know they're in Christ. And it's been gained. It's far better. They get to see Jesus face to face. Yet it comes with tears. Is this your view of death? Do you see death as far better? Do you see death as gain because you get Jesus? Or, it's a big or, are you sitting there like much of the world, fearful of death? Paul says death is gain. How is this possible? It's been super encouraging to me as as we've taken King's Church and Newell Baptist Church and brought them together where um, generations have come together in unity. Not collided, but come together in unity. And it's been amazing to hear some of our older folks ponder death. But ponder death from, from this perspective. It's incredible to hear. I'm ready for it because I, I know I'm going to see Jesus. Like this is, this is our lives, guys. Yes, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. To hear a biblical perspective, a pondering of death, not in a weird way, but in a way that exalts Christ, saying, I'm, I'm ready, I'm, it's okay, because I know it's gain. This is our, this is our view on death. This is, this is Paul's view on death. But what he says Yes, his, de- his desire is to depart and be with Christ, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. All right, so Paul is, is pitted against these two, but again, like, let's, let's ask this question. How is it possible for Paul to see death as gain? This is the beauty of this. Jesus has taken the sting of death in his dying. In Christ's crucifixion, death was destroyed. The death of death in the death of Christ. Right? That's what happened. The sting of death has been ripped out. And for those in Christ, they don't have to fear death any longer. The perfect Savior took our place. For we all deserve death that leads to separation from God for eternity. Our sin, your sin, deserves punishment, which should lead to a great fear of death. Knowing that there is a holy God 
who will judge you and you will be separated from him for eternity should be fearful. Yet, there's good news. And that's what we've been singing about this morning. This is my story. This is my song. His mercy is more. Like, this is what we've been singing about. The good news is that death now can be gain for those who turn from their sin and confess Christ as Lord. This is incredible news. No longer do we fear death. Jesus died the death we deserve, yet he defeated death when he was raised on the third day. That's why Christians can live and die joyfully. I encourage you this morning, if there's a, if there's a fear of death because you haven't put your faith and trust in Christ, I encourage you to do that this morning. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. That will be your testimony. What we've seen over these past few verses is really a contrast between living and dying. Paul says that in living and dying, Christ can be honored. He says living is Christ, dying is gain. He says living is fruitful labor. He says dying is to be with Christ, which is far better. But then what he says in 24 to 26, he says that living is more necessary for the believers. That living will lead to the progress and joy in the faith. And that living leads to Christ being glorified. So as Paul battles deciding between life or death, ultimately he puts others before himself. He's modeling for, what, for us what he is about to exhort the Philippians to do in chapter 2. He says death is far better because he gains Christ, yet to live this life is better for the church. In Philippians 2, verse 4 specifically, he says, Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. That's what he says. And he models it here. My, my, for, for me, death is far better. But for you, let me continue running this race with endurance. Let me continue being an encouragement. Oh, that we would have that perspective. Oh, that our lives would be lived in light of that. My life is lived to serve others so that they may progress in the faith and in the joy of knowing Christ Jesus. Last night, Matt already mentioned it, but we, we joined up with Kingdom Life and another ministry called Agape for a mar marriage seminar. Greg and Deborah Brock, they're sitting back there. Y'all just say hi. <laughs> they, they came up from Clemson uh, to do the main teaching on, on marriage. It's a biblical understanding of marriage. And last night they challenged us to do this in our marriage, what Paul is modeling here, to serve our spouse with our lives, to look to their interests, to love our neighbor. This is Paul's desire for all of us, that our lives would be lived in service to others. Yes, it applies in marriage, but it applies across the board in brothers and sisters in the church. We are conduits, right? We're conduits of God's grace to one another. We're vessels used by the Lord. So this third way Paul models this is to serve others with your life. As long as God gives you breath to breathe, may we serve others with our lives. Verse 25, he says, convinced of this. All right, convinced of this. It's better for me to remain. 
Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Let us, let us serve others with our lives by encouraging others. Encourage others. Verse 25, he says, my living means your progress and joy in the faith. Our lives are to be lived in a way that brings about progress and joy in the faith for those around us. The needs, this is Paul's perspective, the needs of the church were met by a love which for the present was willing to postpone heavenly glories. Man, this is, this is our lives. If we're going to continue on this earth, let us be about the progress of joy, uh, the progress and joy of the faith in others. Let us look to others. Let us, let, us, let us look after one another. Let us serve one another. Let's put others' interests before our own. Let's encourage one another with the word. Let's pray for one another. Let's, let's press into one another's lives. Right? How does this happen? How do we see the progress in the faith? You know, I can, I can think back over the last 20 years of my life, and I can look at men who have made huge impacts on my life, who sat down with me over breakfast and said, hey, how you, how you doing? One, one question I used to get from my, my mentor in college, the first question he'd ask, like, we'd sit down. Oh, it's just weird, man. Like, it's weird. He, we'd sit down. And he'd go, did you sin this week? I'm like, bro, we're about to drink some coffee, eat some eggs, you know. Did you sin this week? And I'm like, yeah. Like, you want to hear them? And he's like, no. He said, have you repented of those sins? Right? Like, this is, this is how we're progressing in the faith and in the joy. Right? We're meeting with one another. We know one another. We're showing Jesus to one another. We're being, we're being those, those, those who spur one another on in faith and love. Like this is what we need. Paul says, my life is to be lived for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul's purpose in seeing the Philippians is threefold. He says, first, progress in the faith. Second, joy in the faith. And third, glorifying Christ. So we serve others with our lives by encouraging others and glorifying Jesus. Verse 26, community Community should cause us to have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. Does seeing, think about your last week, does seeing faithful brothers and sisters lead to glorifying Christ in your life? On, on Thursday, I got to hang out with two brothers here, um, one at Starbucks, the other on the deck. And man, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I left both of those conversations, they were they were they were real. They were real conversations, like some hard things left both of those conversations glorifying Christ. I'm pretty sure I even shared with Eric later on about them and said, man, this is, this is encouraging. This is joyful. This is progress, right? This is what we want to see at Kings. This is what we want to see for your lives. As we gather on Sundays, are you encouraged in the faith and does that lead to glorifying Christ with your life. Who brings joy that leads to Christ being honored in your life? Who brings that joy in your life? Who causes you to want to glorify Jesus? Challenge this week, this week, would you text, call, write a note to someone who causes you to live for Christ? Just encourage them with a word. As we draw to a close, Today, 
I hope you've gained a greater perspective on living and dying. If you're a believer and God grants you another day, your life is to be lived for Christ. It's to be lived for Christ. We are a people who look to honor Christ with our lives and with our deaths. You only have one life to live. It's only one life. And it will soon pass. When you stand before God, only what's done for Christ will last. That's it. May we rejoice in life and death as we see Paul doing here. Let me pray for us and then we're going to enter into a time of the Lord's Supper. Our Father, we, we give you praise for this day. We thank you for your goodness to us in Christ Jesus. We thank you for just this incredible perspective on life and death exemplified in the life of Christ, or in the life of Paul. Father, may we take what we've learned today and may we apply it in our lives. Lord, help us to be an encouragement to someone else this week to spur them on in their progress and joy in the faith, ultimately leading to the glory, glorifying of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. As we, as we come